Hello again. First, I'd like to mention that if you didn't already know, Derek and Swoopy are back on the air with another Skepticality episode. They're the ones that inspired me to do this podcast, but don't blame them. They also showed me that there are others out there like me, as well as knowing is half the battle. Wait, that was G.I. Joe, but my point remains. I welcome them back to the Netways. I'd also like to thank everyone for the feedback. Something that may interest you is that I reply to all my feedback, then immediately delete the messages. I don't add your name to my address book so that if my computer somehow becomes compromised, you won't be getting mass mailings from worms on my machine. I also never plan to send any email to anybody other than immediate replies. I respect your privacy. That's the logically critical promise. Well, part of it. Another part is that no animals were permanently harmed during the final editing of this episode. My last intro point is that I need to make one thing very clear. I'm not trying to change anyone's mind about anything. I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I can't do that. Only you can change your mind, and most people simply don't want to. Change is bad and scary. I know a guy that you can give five reasons why his viewpoint is wrong. He'll agree with all of them, and then counter with two that you can completely shoot down, and he'll agree that you shot them down. But he still won't change his mind. I find that humorous. But as I said in my intro episode, most people are driven purely by emotion. You don't have to agree with me, I'm only trying to follow in Quado's footsteps to get you to open your mind. Ghost. Spirit. Wraith. Phantom. Life force trapped between realms. Casperism. Whatever you want to call it, it amounts to the same thing. There are those who feel the dead are roaming among us, waiting for us to enter. Waiting to enter us. But I'm not going to debate the existence or lack thereof of ghosts. I've got something much more tedious in mind. So whether you're constantly looking over your shoulder at any unknown sound, wondering if Grandma doesn't approve of your current doings, or if you just chalk it up to a settling house, or, or maybe Wayne Williams. This episode will explore some rarely mentioned issues with ghosts. Then I'm going to follow that up with some real-life ghost stories that are going to scare the s*** out of you. So when I say ghost, what exactly am I referring to? In this case, I'm specifically referring to entities that were at one time alive, are not anymore, and yet somehow seem to defy death. Jessica Tandy is a perfect example. I'm not referring to demons or gods, things that were never supposed to be part of our realm. I mean a dead guy that doesn't seem to admit he's dead. I'm referring to that deceased relative that visited you sometime after their death to give you some important message, or that malicious spirit that does things like leave the cabinet doors open, causes the lights to flicker, or the horror has the power to perfectly imitate a pair of feet walking down a staircase. Now, based on the fact that people are not constantly seeing ghosts, I'll postulate that not all people are capable of re-entering the land of the living once they are dead. I mean, think of the parents that died that would want to watch over their children and grandchildren. Think of the little children that were abducted and killed. They might want to see their parents again. Think of the husbands and wives that have died that would want to see their spouse again, but not necessarily through Guinan's body. I think the desire would be there often enough that if anyone could come back from the dead... They would. Wasn't this precisely what Houdini said he'd do when he died? Contact the living in some way? So there must be a reason why we're not swarming with spirits and the courts aren't using the ultimate justice system, talking directly to the victim. Okay, let's go for the classic reason first. Heaven and hell. 
If you're into the whole heaven-hell thing, then once you die, if you want to reach the land of the living again, it requires you to break free from heaven or hell. It doesn't matter which one you're in, they both would have ultra-high security. How do we know that? Because hell's not a nice place. No one wants to be there. If you knew you were going to spend eternity in pain, trust me, you'd try to escape. Satan undoubtedly knows this and doesn't want you leaving before he's burned your feet off or making you stand on your head for eternity next to the room full of smokers. Maybe the restraints aren't physical. Satan may drug you, threaten you, or any number of other things, but it amounts to the same thing. There must be something preventing you from getting out of hell. Otherwise, you just go on now go, walk out that door. Since heaven is supposedly so bitchin', it would have the exact opposite problem. Not people trying to get out, but people trying to get in. And those that are already inside trying to sneak their sinner friends in past St. Peter. As a result, they both must have some type of security. Like I said, it might not be physical, but something must exist. Maybe a spell has been cast around each of their perimeters that, should you just try to walk out, makes you appear on the other side like some giant asteroid game when your ship goes off the screen. But there's something there trying to prevent you from entering or exiting. I don't think either would have guards, though. Why not? Because that would require someone to be the guard. Imagine, you die and wind up in heaven only to learn that you're the new night watchman. You'd have a hard time selling Rent-A-Cop as heaven. And for those that go to hell, well, you wouldn't be able to trust them not to run off, so they couldn't be the guards. Now, there must be something else preventing souls from escaping. Maybe it's just as simple as it's extremely difficult for the dead to get back to the real world. Maybe it requires enormous amounts of ghost energy. Although I assume running out of ghost energy isn't lethal, since you're already dead, so you should be able to make infinite attempts. Maybe everyone in the afterlife has a strained look on their face as they constantly attempt to make it back. But perhaps the difficulty is more bureaucratic. There are rules in the afterlife that you must follow, and one of them is thou shalt not contact the living. So what exactly is the punishment if you break those rules? I guess some form of pain is plausible, but eventually, as Bart Simpson said, wouldn't you get used to the pain just like you do in a hot bath? But whatever the punishment, if there are rules, there must be enforcers. So we're back to the guards thing. Well, you don't have to have punishment. You could have rewards for good behavior. So that means there's management in the afterlife, and they have to do performance reviews on you based on how well you followed the rules. This amounts to the same as the guard thing. You die only to learn you have to do paperwork for eternity. Ugh. Maybe the reason is technical. Maybe the dead just can't find their way back to Earth, or they don't have the necessary ability. That would make sense. But it's purported that several spirits have found their way back, so it's not impossible. But I find this odd, since the idea is that when you die, you just wind up in the afterlife. So, either you just inherently know how to get to the afterlife, or, when you die, some kind of guide is waiting to take you to the afterlife. Just like in Dead Like Me. If you inherently know how to get to the afterlife then you should probably be able to figure out how to get back. If someone is waiting for you, then they know how to go both ways, and you might be able to bribe or threaten them to take you back. What if the afterlife constantly pulls on you, so it's not enough just to get out. You have to struggle to get out and stay out. This means you've got some unseen force being exerted on every entity that has ever died just so it can't talk to its grandchildren. That seems like an incredible waste of energy.
But hey, I'm not in charge of death. Yet. But if this is the case, don't you think at some point Don Quixote would organize all the spirits so that everyone would try to escape all at once? Think of the energy required to contain every entity that has ever existed. Surely this would overload this force field. Maybe the reason most of the dead aren't here with us now is based on the orientation seminar the deceased elders make you attend right after you die. All the recently dead spirits convene in one place and they're told why they shouldn't contact the living. Apparently, the reason is really good because most of them buy it, but a few don't. Perhaps a reason most of the dead aren't here with us now is because they know they appear so foreign and or disgusting to us that they know they're just going to frighten us should they appear in front of their loved ones. If I really want to go sci-fi, perhaps it has to do with the speed of time. Maybe time in the afterlife moves at a different rate, and therefore, either by the time they get around to contacting us, we're already dead because their time moves so much slower than ours, or they try to contact us and they are moving so fast we can't see or hear them. Maybe this explains why zombies move so slowly. They're intentionally trying to go slow so we can see them, but they can't quite seem to get the speed just right. Perhaps the reason is because of wards that Indian witches have created years ago that creates barriers so the dead cannot re-enter our realm. I think there is sufficient evidence that not all dead people can reach the real life. So there must be a reason why. Not being dead, I'm not privy to this reason. However, I suspect I'll find out one day. Actually... I believe that, in fact, I, I won't find out, but I assure you that I'll make it my death's work to contact the living when I die. I'll have nothing else to do. But whatever the reason, I propose that if it's this difficult for the dead to get back to the land of the living, and I think there's ample evidence that many would want to get back, then maybe the afterlife is more like prison. In prison, you lead a restricted life, and the whole point is to take away the things you most enjoy in life so you'll conform and not cause trouble. In the afterlife, apparently the same holds true. You lead a restricted death. Hey, that's a good band name. You can't visit your most loved relatives until they wind up in the clinker with you, maybe. And you must conform to the rules of not contacting the living. So the afterlife is really prison. Wow, I can't wait to get there. By the way, this would hold true for heaven, hell, or miscellaneous afterlives. I'm just pointing out that since we aren't being constantly visited by spirits, there must be a reason and there seems to be a strong reason that they would want to visit the ones they knew when they were alive. But what if I'm wrong? What if the spirits we see are not trying to escape the afterlife, but are instead banished from the afterlife, like red-headed stepchildren at a redneck reunion? Neither heaven nor hell wants them. This again means that the afterlife has some form of security, but in this case, both heaven and hell, or whatever, is keeping them out. Some people believe that if some horrible act is the cause of a person's death, the spirit is prevented from moving on until they have avenged themselves, killed some people, or swindled someone into copying a tape for them. Let's explore this. The manner of your death makes you more or less likely to haunt the place of your death, and affects how and when you move on to some other afterlife. A horrible death is more likely to keep you in this realm than... than what? A pleasant death? What's a pleasant death? I was sipping tea and death sauntered up and asked me if I wouldn't mind terribly dying right now. I was pleased to assist and promptly slumped forward in my Victorian flame-stitched lion-footed fainting couch. Good show! How often do you think someone dies where they're ready to pass on? Sure, some people are suffering long illnesses and want the pain to end, and others have lived long lives. But do you really think that most people at any age are ready to die? I'm suggesting that 
any death would be terrible to the victim. Well, had I been moitered, I would have come back and kicked some ass, but since it was just a pulmonary embolism, I let it go. I'm asserting that death for most people is horrendous. So if you think it requires a particularly heinous act, maybe all deaths are heinous to the deceased. Think about it. If you're the one who was killed, any death would be a problem. It just took your life and you won't get another one. Would the fact that it was done by accident or from natural causes make you less mad? Unless your human emotion is taken away from you when you die, the answer is no. If the cause of death means something as the crow would have us believe, then what about the little girl that was accidentally run over by her neighbor who wished no ill will and simply wasn't looking? Is carelessness considered heinous? It is to the deceased. In fact, it's probably worse. I'd be alive if that bitch had just looked. I think it's a rarity that people willingly enter death. The natural human instinct is to survive. I fail to see how the fact that you were killed because of hate, were killed to steal your Nikes, or were killed because you were standing in the wrong place at the firing range, is any different to the deceased. You're dead either way. Wouldn't the opinion of the deceased factor into how heinous of an act it was? I suggest all unexpected deaths are terrible. If the crow were true, then the streets would be flooded with murderous birds. Let me give you an example. What if 200 years ago, an Indian, running squirrel, is hunting in Utah when a boulder comes crashing down and pins his arm to the ground? He can't move and eventually starves to death. That's pretty horrible. Is that bad enough to keep him here in the land of the living to avenge his death? Seek vengeance on what? A boulder? Probably not. But what if the boulder was pushed by a child that just wanted to see it roll down the hill? Does that warrant foul-based revenge? Probably not. What if the boulder was pushed by another Indian, Longbow, that wanted Running Squirrel's girlfriend? That's fairly heinous. Wait, one more. What if the boulder was pushed by Running Squirrel's girlfriend because he was cheating on her with Longbow? Ah, you see, in order for this to work, you have to have an entire judicial system around to determine which deaths require revenge. Or if all it takes is rage and a desire to seek revenge at the time of death, then as long as the murderer makes it look like an accident, he or she is okay and needn't fear vengeance. Another thing some people mention is that a ghost can somehow become tethered to its place of death. Usually this is because their death is heinous, but as mentioned before, that has issues. But is this spirit attached to the actual structure in which it died, such as a house? What if the house is remodeled where only two of the original four walls remain? Can the spirit leave or can it now wander the entire house? What if the house is demolished and never rebuilt? What if the spirit died on the 28th floor of a high-rise building and it was demolished to make way for a glorious new parking lot? Is the spirit still floating up in the air waiting for an airplane to pass by so it can attempt to scare the passengers for the half-second that they pass within its realm of influence? But what if the ghost wasn't tied to a place, but a location? And I do mean location. Unless ghosts are affected by gravity, the fact that the Earth revolves around the Sun means that the day after the ghost died, it would be floating in outer space as the Earth moved away. It would be another year before the Earth made it around to the same location so the ghost could be back on Earth. But technically that doesn't work because our entire solar system is actually moving. Maybe that's the problem. All the ghosts can get back to us, but we're constantly leaving them behind as the planet rotates and orbits the Sun. But looking at this from a completely different angle, Maybe the dead can get back to the land of the living very easily. They freely have the choice, but the afterlife is a never-ending party like you've never conceived, and it's only periodically that they would even want to leave. 
This would explain why we see so few ghosts. They can get here, but do they really want to go knock on someone's wall when they could be partying with Ben Franklin? What does any of this have to do with anything? Where in the hell am I going with this? I propose four reasons why we don't see more ghosts by virtue of the fact that we're not constantly seeing them. One, spirits are mostly trapped in the afterlife and it's extremely difficult for them to get back here on Earth. Two, the spirits we see are trapped in this world and can't get to the other side. Three, spirits can freely move between the worlds and only occasionally does the spirit actually want to do so. Or four, they don't exist. Well, that pretty much runs the gamut. I've neatly pigeonholed all the choices. So when you see a ghost or hear a ghost story, ask yourself, which one of these categories does this ghost fall into? What good will this do? Well, if you understand something's motivations, you can befriend it and possibly mate with it. But if nothing else, it will hold less power over your fear. Actually, when a haunting occurs, you should always put yourself in the ghost's place. Particularly, you should ask yourself, if you were in one of these four categories, would it make sense for you to be doing whatever you think the ghost is doing? Let me give you some examples. In preparation for this episode, I decided to investigate some real-world ghost stories. I'm lazy, so I just decided to look up some on the internet, and I found a ton of sites devoted to this very topic. What I found has scarred me for life. The hair on the back of my neck is standing up just thinking about it. If you were even slightly squeamish, you better just turn this off now and go watch Magnum P.I. reruns. Remember, the following story is true, but I've left out the names to protect myself. And they didn't leave any names anyway. There's this woman who lives in an apartment. One night, she decides to try using a Ouija board. After 15 minutes of absolutely nothing happening, the suspense is killing me, she grows bored and goes to bed. She always keeps her dog in her bedroom with her at night and the door closed. Later this night, she awakens when her dog is barking at her door. She then sees the door open a bit, but the dog closes it. Eventually, the dog stops barking and she works up enough nerve to open the door. She explores the rest of her apartment and in her den, she discovers what she says can only be described as the scent of old lady perfume. The scent lingers for several days, and she vows never to use a Ouija board again. Hang on, did I read that story right? Where the hell's the ghost? So this ghost story amounts to getting no results on a Ouija board. Okay, I'm with you. A dog barks in the night. Sure. A door opens a little by itself. Well, that's odd. Then Eau de Blue Hair loiters in her den. Well, when I put it that way, there's no possible explanation but phantoms from beyond. So there's a deceased being sitting around Hades, and it hears someone calling from Earth via a $20 piece of cardboard and a triangular-shaped piece of plastic. Apparently, she can't answer her right away, and no other ghost has taken this call. So this being travels across time and space, or whatever the barriers are from the Underverse, and then makes a single attempt at opening the door, a device that it doesn't need since it managed to enter the locked apartment without a key, but for some reason, bedroom doors are its nemesis. Damn hollow core doors! The spirit is then scared off by a dog, but before it heads off back to the undead party, it is so mad at having come all this way only to be fought off with the yelps of a domesticated animal, it develops a diabolical plan to torment the woman forever. It floats up a few stories where old lady Crenshaw lives, 
steals her perfume, which it somehow manages to transport back through at least two locked doors, then pours some on the protagonist's carpet. That'll show her, it thinks, as it heads upstairs again to put the perfume bottle back, and then departs for the land of the dead. It's either that or ghost farts smell like old lady perfume. I'm not trying to say there's a more reasonable explanation. I'm saying maybe you ought to consider what your own explanation entails. After that tale of terror, the listener might want to hit pause, recenter yourself, then come back to this. This next story is the verisimilitude of horror. A guy has a lamp that he no longer wants. So he tells his big, burly, ain't-scared-of-nothing biker friend he can have it. All he has to do is go into the cold, dark, attic alone and get it. (laughs) The biker takes the stairs, and once there, sees the lamp. He notices that the lamp is already on and assumes that his friend turned it on so he could find it, but doesn't think it odd that his friend came up, plugged the lamp in, and then just left it in the attic. As he approaches the light source, to his dismay, he notices that there's a lamp cord wrapped around the fixture's base. It doesn't appear to be plugged in. Ah! He runs downstairs and yells to his friend that he'll never come back again. I'm, I'm literally shaken here. When, when did ghosts obtain the power to generate 60 hertz alternating current? Okay, lamps aren't too finicky about their AC cycles, so it could be anywhere from 30 hertz to 120 hertz, but, but man, I had no idea we got this power when we died. This is so cool. I can't wait to die so I can shock the hell out of people. Oh, and forget the idea that the cord around the lamp might have just been an extension cord that was merely wrapped around the lamp. That's not possible. Lamps have built-in extension cord detectors that prevent that kind of thing. Sure, it could have failed, but what are the chances of that happening? A friend of mine has been in the lamp business for 80 years, and he says he's never heard of one failing. It must have been the dead either trying to read, or maybe they wanted to do some light dusting in the attic. Wait. Why would a ghost generate electricity to turn a lamp on? Maybe it was afraid of the dark. That's possible, but why the hell was it up there in the first place? Why not just leave the attic if that's the case? Well, maybe it wanted to communicate. There is an entire industry of light communications, and some of their best research shows that a constantly on light can communicate nearly five distinct messages, including, I'm over here, I prefer to be able to see, and, hey, check out my lamp. No, in this case, the ghost probably wasn't trying to communicate. I think it was trying to scare off the biker. It sensed something in the biker and was trying to protect the homeowner. So let's think about this good ghost that's trying to help our homeowner. This otherworldly being has either gone through great trouble to escape the afterlife, or it's trapped in this dimension and decides to hang around an old attic. I don't know about you, but I've always said if I was immortal, I'd want to spend eternity in a moldy attic. I love the smell of cardboard boxes. So either way, this being is in the attic. It senses danger. It is scared. It doesn't know what to do. It has to think fast what to do, what to do. The evil biker is coming. I've got to make him leave before he kills us all. Suddenly, an idea forms in its... Do ghosts have heads or brains? Anyway, it gets an idea. Just before the guy appears, it summons its energy, consults a pocket IEEE guide, and generates 60 hertz alternating current across the lamp's plug. The light dully shines in the dark chamber. But the man isn't stopping. Oh my various gods, the spirit thinks. I've made a terrible miscalculation. It seems people aren't really as afraid of glowing lamps as the spirit had imagined. Where did it go wrong? 
Was it the fact that humans willingly have lamps littered throughout every house in America? Suddenly, the man notices the lamp is unplugged, and his face contorts, and he bolts out the front door. Peace has been restored to the house. The ghost can either go back to its party, or if it's trapped in the attic, it can now sit alone and quietly go insane in the darkness. That's one possibility, but that's not what happened. You see, I left out a very crucial part of this story that explicitly shows you what the spirit's intentions were. You see, the biker later reported that he felt like he was being pushed up the stairs. He didn't think anything about it at the time. This tells us the ghost was drawing him into the attic, intending to harm him. It had been waiting in the attic for just the right time. Don't bother sneaking down the stairs and into the house and murdering the lot of them. Don't attack the child when it comes up to get the Christmas lights. Wait for just the right time. Finally, it overheard a phone call about giving away the lamp and it knew it would feast soon. As the biker entered the house, the spirit consulted its pocket IEEE guide and generated 60 hertz alternating current across the lamp's plug. The biker emerged into the attic and was suddenly mesmerized by the lamp's fluorescent beauty. He walked closer. Closer. Closer still. Damn, I forgot to unwrap the cord. Oh, and there's an outlet right here. If the biker sees the cord, my plan is shot. Then the biker did notice the cord. He knew he was seeing the impossible. There's no such thing as a novelty light bulb that takes batteries. Some from hell spirit is here to take my soul. He couldn't move under the spell of the 40-watt Sylvania. A soundless scream escaped his lips as he focused on the one thing that meant something to his otherwise miserable life. His bike. He thought of all the good times he'd had, and all the good times he plans to have on that bike. He must break the spell this lamp has on him. He shakes his head violently and is out of the daze. The spirit roars as it knows it has lost another meal. The biker is down the stairs and out of the house before the ghost realizes... That was the best I could do? I was trying to kill that guy and I used a lamp. A lamp! I wasn't even using it as a weapon, merely a light source. What the hell was I thinking? The spirit briefly wished it could take its own afterlife, then decided there would be others. Oh yes, and next time, it would unwind the lamp cord. Maybe next time, it would simply plug the lamp in and use its own spiritual electricity to shock the victim directly. Hey, that's a much better idea! Okay, by this time you're thinking, these aren't real ghost stories. These are just a bunch of lies you either made up or that someone else made up and posted on a web page somewhere. Well, here's one that's only second-hand. I actually met the guy in this story, and after you hear his tale, you may be comforted to know that your loved ones are constantly affecting your life in ways you can't possibly imagine. Or maybe you can't imagine them. This tale comes to you from my best friend's uncle. My friend's cousin is killed in an automobile accident. We'll call her Julie. On the day she died, she left a message on her parents' answering machine at 11.11. She was pronounced dead at 4.11 in the afternoon. The last movie she ever rented was Dragonfly. That's the backstory. Now let me be serious for four sentences. I want to point out that I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I fully understand that this guy was going through a very difficult time. Nonetheless, I'm going to repeat this tale because it shows the links people go to to comfort themselves. And my friend actually wanted me to tell this tale. On to the ghostly part. One morning after Julie's death, her father enters his kitchen, turns on the fluorescent light, and it flickers a little, then comes on. He realizes that he's never seen that light flicker. 
Now, you're probably questioning this guy at this point because a non-flickering fluorescent light is considered rare. But trust me, this guy's light never, ever flickered before. So he looks up and says to the light, Is that you, Julie? And the light flickers again. Wow, he is stunned. Ask and ye shall receive. He knows Julie is watching over him and is communicating with him through light pulses. The next day, he's out and about his daily business, and he notices a dragonfly. He remembers that Julie's last movie rental was Dragonfly, and realizes that she is again trying to communicate with him. Over the next few days, he starts noticing that dragonflies are all around him, especially by the lake. I'm not joking on that one. Honestly, he said, especially by the lake. You're thinking that's impossible. Lakes are the dragonfly's natural enemy. They only go to the lake to mate, sleep, eat, drink, sunbathe, die, and possibly harass caterpillars, but that's it. He realizes there's just too many dragonflies around him. She must be sending them to him, and the message is that she's there. He now knows that she's somewhere watching over him, but there's a slight doubt somewhere in his mind. Little does he know that his fabric of reality is about to be blown away. His doubts will be cast asunder by the most profound and assertive evidence of spiritual interaction the world has ever seen. You may want to sit down for this one. Down the street from his house, construction has just started on a new 7-Eleven. Don't you get it? She left a message at 11-11. She died at 4-11. There's a 7-Eleven down the street. That's way too many 11s and too coincidental to be a coincidence. The dead have risen and are obtaining building permits. But worse, they're going back in time before their death, and instead of warning themselves of their own impending doom, they're influencing major convenience store corporations to start new store projects. Sure, it'll take months to perform cost analysis, get approval from the CEO, scout out the location, draft the blueprints, plan the HVAC system, get bids on the job, and push the financial paperwork through, but the dead can do anything. After all, they have God on their side. Okay, I know I'm a smartass, but all jokes aside, this person believes the dead are communicating to him through dragonflies, flickering lights, and a 7-Eleven. Now, the flickering lights could be caused by the spirit simply walking through the fixture. According to all those ghost hunter shows, the EM range of the average ghost is enough to generate that kind of interference. But there's a deeper meaning here. Ghosts have control over insect reproduction cycles. This is much more plausible than the ability to generate AC. Insects have very simple minds. As a spirit, you are granted the knowledge of which axons to fire and the ability to fire them in the right sequence to make them horny. Then you gain the ability to compel their offspring to do your bidding. Good thing she didn't rent the 1954 classic Them as her last movie. Just so any of my friends and relatives know, if you pass away, do not try to communicate with me via insects. Unless you're going to make them spell out words on my driveway, and I really don't want a bunch of bugs on my driveway. But if you must, perhaps you can send a clearer sign than just the presence of insects in a location I'd already expect to find them. I'd need something more definitive. How about roaches in a dumpster or flies in a pile of manure? But this information alone both terrifies and annoys me. If the terrorists ever learn to harness the power of ghosts harnessing the power of insects, we are doomed. They'll send a plague of boll weevils upon us to eat our crops and cover our windshields. You think airport security is sufficient? Imagine 10,000 grasshoppers directed to clog an airliner's turbine in mid-flight. You thought ghosts were a joke? This is perhaps the biggest threat the world has ever faced. The terrorists seem quite willing to take their own life. What if they start killing themselves with the express purpose of learning to control the insect kingdom once they're on the other side? 
How do you combat an armada of dung beetles forming blockades of feces in the streets, or dirt daubers building their tubular nests in, in, well, something bad? Now I wish I hadn't broadcast this. I'm just giving them ideas. Let's look at another story that has less militant results. Grab a pair of Depends for this one, cause you'll need them. There's a naval ship that is reportedly haunted. The reports include hearing the sound of a metal grate being picked up and then dropped. When the sailors would hear this, they would stop to listen and the sound would be gone. Then they would return to their work and then hear it again. It was almost as if someone somewhere else in the ship had the task of lifting metal grates, cleaning them, replacing them, and then moving on to the next one. But this was done by spirits because the source was not immediately visible from within the room inside the ship where the sailors were. This same region of the ship had doors with special locks. They would lock automatically, much like the exit doors on a theater. But several sailors noticed that sometimes the doors weren't locked. Now that is scary. This is one ghost I do not want to ever run into. It sits in a ship and waits for sailors, then makes a grating metal sound. <sighs> Wait, I can't even sarcastically make fun of this. These sailors think that hearing a metal grating sound from within a metal ship is unusual, and then sees meaning in a door that should have locked but didn't. Maybe the door didn't fully close, or maybe someone blocked the lock intentionally so they could enter an area they weren't supposed to. The entire incident might be a security breach. Good one, guys. It's not a spy. It's a ghost. Way to guard our country. You're saying that a ghost has nothing better to do than make noises and unlock doors. Why would a ghost do such a thing? That's my big question. Why? And if it's to scare you, then once you know that the worst it can do is make noise and not lock you in, what's the big deal? Now, on to another one. This one I think is just funny. I can't believe someone took the time to write it up, and now I'm going to take the time to make fun of it. As many of you may know, the Queen Mary is a haunted ship that is permanently docked in Long Beach, California. A 12-year-old girl was there one night with her grandparents. The girl was petrified of ghosts, so she asked her grandfather to turn the bathroom light on and leave the door open just a crack. He did so, but the door slowly opened all the way. He tried to close it to only a crack again, but it opened again. He finally tries a third time and it stays. This must be the work of ghosts that hate cracked bathroom doors. I have an aversion to cracked barn doors, so I understand the affliction. But wait, our tale is not complete. After they finally got the door to stay put, you know, the wadded up towel on the floor as a doorstop is an amazing invention. Anyway, then she hears, no, not a banshee, not a drunken ghost pirate, not my little pony, but she hears footsteps running down the hallway outside her room. Ah, a ghost! I know what you're thinking. You're thinking she was on a boat, and while it may be permanently docked, it's still floating in the water. That minor rocking was the source of the door opening. Now you're thinking that that particular boat is also a hotel, and anyone with a couple hundred bucks can stay there. So maybe that noise that sounded suspiciously like someone running down the hall was in fact someone running down the hall. You just don't get it, do you? Everyone knows that Queen Mary was a neat freak. She had to have everything in just the right place. She would not tolerate a door being cracked. Either open it or close it. None of this partially open crap. It was the ghost of Queen Mary herself that used her powers from beyond the grave to slowly, slowly, slowly open the door. But after three attempts... 
She was so worn out that all she could do was grab a pair of cowboy boots and run up and down the halls of her ship, shouting obscenities which no one could hear but dogs and lizards. And the lizards didn't care. I could go on for hours. I read dozens of stories, and they were all just as lame as these. When people have ghost stories, they all seem to be this ridiculous. There was a lady that watched a movie about demons, and her bird died the next day. That proves it! As a demon, I hate birds that are present during a showing of a Hollywood production relating a generic story about one of my own kind. That bird must die. There was a guy that heard a noise in a room and got scared and left. Later, he became convinced it was a ghost when he heard, and I quote, someone supposedly murdered someone, end quote, in that room. With specifics like that, it must be true. Some kids are playing on a Ouija board, and the spirit says its name is the initials of one of the kids' dead grandmother. They ask it questions that only Granny could know, and then they ask her where she is. It says the kitchen. They promptly forget about her and eat popcorn. Later, they go into the kitchen and discover that a couple of cabinet doors are open. That proves it. Granny's been pawing through our Tupperware. The possibility that I just forgot to close the doors when I was last in here is inconceivable. There's a nurse in an old farts home that reports that only her Alzheimer's patients are seeing a small boy. The dead are compassionate to the people who no longer have their full mental capacities. Yeah, Mrs. Sokolowski can't remember events from six and a half minutes ago, but you can trust her when she says she talked to a small boy that no one can see. Where are the truly horrifying stories? I was expecting Evil Dead or Mike Myers or Nature Trail to Hell, but all I found was easily explained fluff. Joe Nickel, how do you stay in business if this is what you have to investigate? Your job is more counseling people, showing them their mistakes. The investigation is a mere formality, so they know you're serious. I guess if someone has a really interesting and complex story, they just go straight to Hollywood and it becomes a movie. Movies, eh? I'm not going to analyze movies here, but I do do that, much to the anger of my fellow movie patrons. Just kidding. But I'd like to look at one ghost movie that seems to bother a lot of people. Raise your hand when you can figure out which one I'm referring to. In this movie, a little dead girl has managed to produce a short film and put it on a videotape. If you watch it, her dead hand grabs her cell phone, gives you a call, and informs you that you have seven days before she kills you, unless you make a copy of her tape. This is where the overly aggressive marketing techniques of today will land us. Make someone else watch my movie or you die. This movie suggests that this little girl has managed to stay in our realm because she's pure evil. In addition, she's managed to create a movie of her own and found a way to put it on a blank tape. A corpse that was trapped at the bottom of a well was capable of putting a three-minute short onto a VCR tape. Now, VCRs are much simpler than DVDs, but you got to get the angle of the striping just right so that the information is stored correctly. You see, tapes store information on a diagonal line with a series of magnetic regions. This dead girl has managed to do this without the aid of a VCR. She also seems to have imprinted live flies onto it. Exactly how does a corpse go about purchasing blank videotapes? I guess you could just kill a store clerk. Maybe that's when she picked up the camera, lights, the editing equipment. But I guess we're not supposed to think about that. But since that's the whole point of the movie, it kind of ruins it for me. I can understand the dead coming to kill the living. They're quite jealous of us. But when the dead start using technology like a phone or a VCR, I have a problem. I guess in a few years we will have the Ring 5 where a girl heats up microscopic spots on a blank DVD and changes their reflectivity so others can watch her horrible movie. Oh no, her first victim's player doesn't support DVD plus R and the disc is thrown in the trash. 
She's gonna have to learn the DVD-R format now. Real life is much scarier than movies. The economy is more frightening than the ring, or the grudge, or the cave, or the whatever. As I said, I'm not disputing the existence of ghosts, but you can probably figure out my position. If you believe in them, ask yourself, why is this ghost doing this? It really has nothing better to do than walk up and down your stairs? The best way to scare you is hide something of yours, only to put it back where you thought you had dropped it to begin with? Do you really think that a skip-skipping record is caused by an entity that has rend itself from the bowels of hellish torment and has come up with no better way to communicate with you than that? A skipping record? Do you truly believe that some guy who was killed eight doors down is seeking revenge on his killer by knocking on walls? That's the best he can do? I mean, for ghosts, that's the best you can do? I have tried to point out how difficult it might be for a spirit to even be with us, and with that in mind, do you truly believe they have gone through all that effort just to make a noise or close a door? When you hear a bump in the night, call out to it. Is that all you've got? If all you get back is an even louder noise, then you have your answer. Yes, that's the best it can do. If it gives you something worse, ask it if it can do it again after you get 30 people in here to help corroborate your story. Put yourself in the ghost's shoes and see if what you think it's doing really makes sense. Now, if you believe they feed on fear, then you're always going to answer yes. But then you can think about how are you supposed to ingest fear. But barring that, you should then realize that if you're not afraid, they can't hurt you. So go have a drink and forget your ghostly troubles. Until next time, try to enjoy the daylight. Just a quick movie gripe. Why shoot a zombie? It's already dead. How can a small piece of metal and some missing skin injure a being that's muscles are rotten and yet still moves? Its brain is quite liquefied, so removing its head will have no effect on it. It's not using its head! Visit our website at logicallycritical.com. Send feedback to podcast at logicallycritical.com. 